For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to the week nine edition of the Believe in Steelers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mark Bergen, joined as always by two-time Super Bowl champion and 12-year veteran of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Ike Taylor. MB, man, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, grandpa, grandma, we doing this tonight to get it out to you tomorrow, as in Monday, uh, MB going to edit, cut, paste, whatever he need to do. So get ready. I'm excited. MB, let's take off. This is following the Steelers' 26-24 to win over the Indianapolis Colts. The Steelers have now won three consecutive games in four out of their last five, six straight over the Colts. And what an exciting game it was. Ike, let's start here where we always start. Your big takeaway from Sunday's game. My big takeaway from the game, MB, was Boswell. You know, going four for four, just... It's hard just to kick at Heinz Field, period. You know, we had a good kicker when I played, and that was uh, Jeff Reed, undrafted. But at the same time, to see what Boswell is doing for a kicker right now, and he's having a Pro Bowl season. Ike, on the flip side of that, Adam Venateri, 46 years old, missed the 43-yard field goal with a little bit more than a minute left. He was wide left. I looked this up, Ike. Venateri's 46 years old. There's been rumors that he might retire after this season. The next oldest kickers in the league, Detroit Lions kicker Matt Prater is 35. New England Patriots kicker Stephen Goskowski is 35 as well. He's out for the season with an injury. But also with the Venetary kick, if you saw the replay, the holder gave him the laces, which normally laces out when you're kicking the field goal. That might have contributed to the miss as well. Vinatieri also had an extra point blocked earlier in the game. For the season, Adam Vinatieri, who's had as much success as any kicker the NFL has seen, he's only 12 of 17 on field goal attempts, 14 of 19 on extra point attempts for this season. The stats you just gave me, MB, that means it's about time to go. So, I mean, 46 years old, you've been doing it for a long time, a very long time. First ballot in my mind, Hall of Famer. But just with those stats, it's, it's about time to go. Now, kicking with the laces, if you ask any kicker, man, that's probably one of the hardest things to do. It's just the pressure. So, you know, being a holder, you can only imagine being a holder for a guy who's kicking, how much stress he's in, regardless on the reps, how many times you're doing in practice. When it comes clutch time, everything kind of got to get wiped out. So him missing that field goal, him considering on retiring, I think it's about time to go 46 years old. He had a heck of a career. No doubt. And that's not to take away exactly like you said with what he's accomplished in his career, but having more than a decade on the next oldest kicker in the league, I thought was pretty eye-opening. I, I want to go here now, my big takeaway. And you mentioned it before, your guy, Magic Minka Fitzpatrick. 238 left in the first half. Colts are driving at the Steelers' 20-yard line. Colts winning. 
10 to three. They might go up two touchdowns. Fitzpatrick picks it off, goes 96 yards to the house and completely flipped the momentum of the game. It was unbelievable. I call him Magic Minka, but I also got a new nickname for him. I'm going to go ahead and call him uh, Jenga. Jenga Minka. If anybody know anything about the game Jenga, you know, he's that Jenga piece to the Pittsburgh Steelers defense. Now see why they traded so much to get him. I know Coach T, and we talked about this last week, Mark, that Coach T was highly on him coming out of Alabama, but in six days, in six days, three turnovers, I mean, three takeaways coming from Minka. That says a lot about the guy. He's just always around the ball. He got a nose for the ball. And when I say you are your coach's personality, I truly believe that's, that's Coach T's son. Even though he got two boys already, biologically, just being a stepson, that's his son. That's, that's what he's looking for in a secondary guy. You can just go back to Ronde Barber, who he coached, you know, in Tampa Bay. So Minka is a, a dream come true as far as like a son and a NFL player in that secondary. You can just see what he's doing, man. You know, in six days, three takeaways, one to the crib. Uh, it's always hard to play in the NFL, but just to even score in the NFL. Minka has, since he came through, the points allowed went down, the turnovers went up, and he just brings on the back end a different kind of energy to that Pittsburgh Steelers defense. One of the reporters told Fitzpatrick after the game that his pick six was the longest in franchise history since 1933. He corrected the reporter and said, no way, man, James Harrison, referring to the pick six interception that Harrison had in the postseason. Hats off for Fitzpatrick for recognizing that, that this is the regular season. But I think that just goes to show you how much he's immersed himself already with this team. He all in. He all in. He did his homework. It's not a guy just coming not knowing the tradition. Um, I think Mingo, for the most part, if you just look from the 70s, that's how we played. So we looked at how those guys in the 70s, meaning the still the defense, played. It was passion. It was hitting hard. It was running to the ball. It was being unselfish. Fast forward to the 2000s when we was on the road, when we had the number one defense for a while in the NFL, it was hitting hard, understanding the tradition, just knowing how to be a stiller. So Minka, in my eyes, he's trying to bring it back in the, in the early 2000s. He's been a part where the Steelers been missing, a guy on the back end who can take over. And Minka, a.k.a. Jenka, a.k.a. Magic, he's creating magic right now. Like I say, man, he just brings a whole new philosophy, not even philosophy, just a different kind of energy to that secondary. That's what it was missing for a while. NFL Next Gen Stats is a great follow on Twitter. They said that Fitzpatrick was running more than 21 miles per hour on his 96-yard interception return touchdown. He covered 113 yards of distance. This was the fastest speed and most distance covered by a Steelers ball carrier on any play in the last two seasons. It just shows his explosiveness. And again, like I said earlier, how that play completely flipped the course of the game. And this Steelers defense is really starting to – some of the playmakers are really starting to emerge. You've got T.J. Watt, who had a sack – 
He has 20 quarterback hits, which is tied for the most in the NFL. Seven and a half sacks there. That's good for ninth in the NFL. Fitzpatrick has four interceptions. That's tied for second in the NFL and a forced fumble. And, you know, you've got guys like Devin Bush and Bud Dupree, who's in a contract year, who had two sacks in Sunday's game. You're starting to get guys on the defensive side of the ball really start to make plays and establish themselves defensively. Well, Bud is kind of – Bud is coming to his own. So, you know, for a while, being the first-round draft pick coming out of Kentucky is, where's Bud? And you said the best. I know when it's contract season, you're trying to get your money. And how you get your money? You show out and you show off. <laughs> and he's been showing out and he's been showing off. So you got basically Cam, he's balling since two had been hurt, first rounder. TJ, first rounder. Bud, first rounder. So the expectation of them three guys I named that's what you're looking for on the defense. That's what you want as a foundation. And but of late, I don't know if it's his contract yet. He smelled the bag coming, as the young kids would say. But Bud is playing lights out. Uh, we all know what TJ can do just coming out as a rookie. He's he's Mr. Consistent. He he consistent every year, every play. That's just what TJ do. Now you get Bud on board, and I think those two worked out this offseason together, you get Bud on board. Cam has been Mr. Consistent. Then you get a young Devin Bush, who's all Pittsburgh still a personality when you want to look at as a linebacker. Then you mess around and you trade for Magic Minka in the secondary, you know? Then you got a, a Joe Hayden, not a Pittsburgh draft, but he should. He's a Pittsburgh still a period. So you got a lot of first rounders MB in that secondary on that defense and they're starting to show out the defense finishes with five sacks three takeaways Dupree had two of them he's got six sacks on the season it ties a career high he set in 2017 Ike I want to go to good call bad call and I want to start with bad call because this is a trend I've noticed throughout watching several football games this season and I'm talking about the pass interference challenges issued by Mike Tomlin. He had two pass interference challenges in the span of 35 seconds. And I just think we're at a point in the season where coaches have to understand, unless it is an absolutely egregious call, that referees are not going to overturn what the call is on the field. They're going to let what is called on the field stand. Well, you know, I just think we're doing too much. I think we letting the fans, the crowd, the this what I think you should do, dictate the game. And we shouldn't. The referees, they're human, so they're going to have human errors. That's just how it is, Mark. At the same time, it's, it's a lot of plays in between those lines where guys mess up. So you got to look at it. Referees really don't have too many options to mess up, but they're human. You get graded as a football player, and it's a lot of plays that you mess up on the field. So I like the human error, you know? Um, I think now with the changing of the rules, when it comes down to the passing the Ferris calls and challenging plays, is 
we overanalyze, we thinking too much. Like, let the referees just be the referees. They're going to mess up. Oh, well. Because in between 60 plays, you best believe as much as a coach wants you to be perfect, I can only coach you if you mess up. I think the rule was created in a complete reaction to what happened in the NFC Championship game between the Rams and the Saints. And if you look at what the data shows you, they haven't run this fully yet. But as of week five, only seven out of the 40 past interference-related calls had been overturned. And so if you look at a sample size like that, if you're a coach who challenges a pass interference penalty or, or non-call, you have to understand it's probably not going to be overturned given what we've seen this season. And Dan Fouts, the CBS analyst in the game, on one of the calls, the one that was way over Zach Pascal's head, he's the Colts receiver, Fouts said, that ball is the definition of uncatchable. This is unbelievable that this stands. There's pass interference. There is no question, but it was a 35-yard penalty. And I just think if you're a coach and you're going to challenge this, it's probably not going to be overturned, and you have to treat it like a de facto timeout. You know I love Coach T to death, but you know Coach T, he has a losing, he has a losing record when it comes down to challenging. You know, so if I'm Coach T, I'm just going to hold a red flag for the whole season. I'm just going to keep it, whether it's in my sock, in my hoodie, in one of my pockets, I'm just going to hold that red flag because Coach T throwing that red flag, it don't, it don't work out in the Pittsburgh still a favor. So at the same time, though, like I was just saying earlier, it's human error, and there's only so much you can do. Or the game will not be perfect, and I don't want the game to be perfect. The game for me is a part of life, so I think we just need to let the referees dictate what's going to happen in the game. There's nothing wrong, what I want to say, with human error with the referees. To your point, Ike, Coach Tomlin got his first challenge overturned last week against the Dolphins. It was his first challenge that got overturned since 2017. So you're spot on about that. And don't you just think that we're watching these games and it disrupts the flow? And it's like, are we watching the action? Are we watching football? Or are we just sitting around watching challenges? Yeah, it, it take away, it take away the groove of the game. It take away, like you say, the momentum of the game. Uh, just let the referees be the referees. I mean, once you go into throwing challenge flags, it, it becomes half football on your TV, half commercial. So for me, since I've been out the league for a while, now I'm a fan. So I just want to watch football. And I'm sure fans want to do the same thing. But, you know, also just playing the game, these fans got to understand, like, man, it's human error. Just walk them to life. We just put pads and the helmet on and play between these white lines. It's going to be challenges. It's going to be calls that could have, would have, should have. Either it, it could have went your way, but it didn't. But that's just part of the game. So the referees already have it bad. And what I mean by bad is they got a lot they have to see in a short amount of time. We're talking about in a couple of seconds. In about three seconds or less, these referees got to make these calls and they're not going to see everything or it's not going to be in favor 
on either side. So we just got to deal with that. I hope they take it out and just let the referees be the referees, Mark. And that was kind of my point about the bad call. It's not really on Coach Tomlin's decision. It's more so from what we've seen since the NFL has tried to implement this rule it's not just this game where we saw it, where it's been a problem. It's been a problem league-wide, and that's kind of the bigger point that I was trying to get. Now, on the flip side, the good call. In this game, you were without the two running backs, James Conner, the starter, and Benny Snell, not playing. So the Steelers getting Jalen Samuels involved. He had 13 receptions. It broke a Steelers record for most receptions by a running back. He had 73 yards. I thought he was a great outlet for quarterback Mason Rudolph throughout Sunday's game. We had a quarterback named Charlie Batch. You know, we used to call him check down Charlie because y'all always check it down to the running back. But at the same time, <laughs> you know, check down Charlie. He kept the interceptions and the turnovers low. He kept the drive alive. He didn't force the issue knowing he had a pretty good defense. The same way with Mason Rudolph. Like, he's coming off an injury. He's trying to get back in the groove. And every game ain't going to be a 250-yard game. Sometimes you just got to take what the defense is giving you and what the defense is giving you. They're giving you checkdowns. They'll rather rally to the ball than give up a big play. So, to see Jay Samuel have 13 receptions, 73 yards, lead the team in receptions and receiving yards, that's just how it's going to be some games you come out you come out the game with the w even though mason did have an interception but at the same time it was to a minimum so some games this is it's going to be a check down it's going to be a check down game and you can just deal with that so depending on what the defense is doing depending on if they want to gamble or not you got to have it that way so it was just good to see mason let alone jay samuel just checking it down taking what the defense gave you I'll be honest, I didn't realize Charlie Batch played for as many seasons mm -hmm. as he did in Pittsburgh because I knew him as the Detroit Lions quarterback. Hey, you can say this about Charlie Batch. He put on his tombstone. He threw for more than 11,000 yards in his playing <sighs> career. So say what right. you want about checking down. It, pretty successful. Pretty successful right. it, it is a backup for the Steelers for a number of years. But 100%. You almost made me spit out my water there. <laughs> <laughs> my bad, MB. <laughs> no, it's all good. What other takeaways did you have from the game? We, we can kind of take this in any direction. The defense just showing out. You know, it, it, it's starting to look like the old Pittsburgh Steelers defense. The depth they have at running back. You got good depth at running back. Two of your starters or two of your rotations, they were down. James Conner was down. Snelly was down. So then you get James Samuel. He's coming out the backfield. You get Vance McDonald, the tight end. He's starting to show up. So it's a lot of weapons. And what I like what Mason Rudolph is doing, he's not forcing the issue. He's throwing it to whoever is open and just taking what the defense is giving them. So what I like, what I'm saying from the Pittsburgh Steelers is defense starting to take over. You know, them first-round draft picks starting to show out. The running game. You know, when you got good defense, a young quarterback, and a running game, that helps with the play calling. It helps with the time of possession. It helps the ebb and flow of the game. Then you're allowed to let your quarterback kind of warm up to the game instead of just asking him to win the game. And while the Steelers only had 90 yards rushing in Sunday's game, 
Samuels out of the backfield receiving, catching, again, 13 passes. He was targeted 13 times as well. So catching every single ball thrown his way Mm -hmm. was almost an extension of the running game in the sense that it might not have been, you know, handing the ball off to him, but, you know, a quick dump pass here and there. Other than Samuels' fumble, he played a terrific game filling in for the two running backs that were out for Pittsburgh. 100%. You can just look at T. Edmonds. He came through. He had seven three yards rushing. Six point, I think it was 6.1 yards was his average. He had a, a nice little run. And if you just hear the announcers talk about Edmonds, they say, you know, he's a north and south runner. He get his foot in the ground and he just take off. And that's exactly just coming with a banged up offensive line. That's what you want. You don't want a guy who's dancing behind you want a guy to get north and south like you know you get three or four yards per pop man it's easy to call the play on third and two third and three for offensive coordinator you get behind the chains on third and eights and third and tens now you're in the hands of a defense so just to see them stick to the game even though they only had 90 something yards total rushing but just to see them stick to the running game that's old school Pittsburgh Steelers okay I want to go on the flip side of the ball here the Colts came in leading the AFC South and Pittsburgh got its sixth consecutive victory over the Colts in this one mm-hmm. as well. Jacoby Brissett went down with mm-hmm. an apparent MCL injury. So Ryan Hoyer came in to relieve Brissett. We'll see if Brissett's going to miss any time for the Colts. And Brissett has played remarkably well this season yes. in relief yes. for Andrew Luck with Luck's retirement just really on the eve of the season. And, right. you know, Quinton Nelson, who got shoved into Brissett's knee, he's one mm-hmm. of the NFL's best linemen, one of the best guards in the NFL. And, you know, you're thankful. You never want to see a guy get hurt. And you're thankful right. Brissett, you know, was able – he was still on the sidelines, and we'll see if he misses time. But I, I was happy to see at least he was still in uniform. And if it would have been, say, a playoff game, I think the Colts might have put him back in. All the player knows football. So if it's the playoffs, Brissett would have played. It really has nothing to do with a trainer telling you you can or you can't. If it's playoff time and there's 32 teams in the league and I got a shot and I'm one of the guys that can help us win to get to a Super Bowl, Brissett, like, man, don't take me out. Like, what's, what's my injury? I don't care. I'm playing. I deal with it in the offseason. To that point, in the regular season, you can be a little bit more careful. But B. Hoyer, I got a chance to play with B. Hoyer. Don't forget, he was with the Cleveland Browns. He came to Pittsburgh. He was with the New England Patriots. So he's a savvy veteran, you know. And before he threw that interception, he was getting hot. Before Minka picked him off, he was getting hot. So... They got a good backup in B. Hoyer. I'm sure the I'm sure the offense coordinator and the head coach from the from the Colts, they don't feel too bad rushing Brissett back because they got Hoyer. Don't forget, man, they got a nice little running game, man. Uh Mack, the running back, man, he's been on fire. Marlon Mack, he's been on fire. So their defense have been playing bad either. So you got a veteran quarterback, you got a nice little running game. So far, you're at the top of the division. So there is no rush to bring him back if he's that seriously hurt. T.Y. Hilton also out for the Colts, too. So we'll see if he might be able to come back from his calf injury as well. Mm -hmm. Colts get both 
Brissett and Hilton back in that lineup too. And this is a team that has overachieved this season relative to the expectations going in, especially, again, considering the retirement of Andrew Luck at the start of the season. If you're interested in advertising or becoming a presenting sponsor of the Believe in Steelers podcast, please contact the Believe Podcast Network at Believe.com. That is B-L-E-A-V.com. B-L-E-A-V.com. Ike, I also want to thank our listeners as well. We've gotten several five-star reviews. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Luminary, and TuneIn. I saw iTunes and Stitcher had launched just this last week, and I know those other platforms that I just mentioned launched within the last few days, but we've gotten several five-star reviews already. Thank you so much to those of you out there that have weighed in. If there's more that you want to see, if you have questions, comments, insight for us. We love getting feedback for this, but thank you so much to our listeners for that. Really, really appreciate that. Yeah, I want to piggyback off that. Just thanks for everybody for tuning in. Again, um, just to piggyback off what Mark said, hey, if y'all tuning in, please comment. You know, I feel like I can always get better. I would love to have the fans comment, and me and Mark would talk about it on this show. Absolutely. I had one friend weigh in on my Facebook page, buddy of my name, Jordan. Jordan said, not really a question, but I'm very pleased with the Steelers picking up Fitzpatrick. Dude can ball. And Ike, that's really what we touched on earlier in this show. Jordan, spot on. And Jordan, thank you for weighing in. And again, if you have questions or comments, we want to bring you into the discussion. So we'll be sure to leave our social media information in the show notes too, so you can reach out to us. We love to hear from listeners. So again, thank you so much for that. So after Sunday's games, Pittsburgh now at four and four, two games behind Baltimore and the AFC North. The Ravens coming off a big win on Sunday night football over the New England Patriots. The Patriots no longer undefeated. Ike, I think we're going to get into a little bit of a back and forth here about Lamar Jackson. The kid is electric to watch. But I still think, despite New England's loss, that the Patriots are still the team to beat in the AFC. Yeah, until they really play a good quarterback. So you, you got to understand, the Patriots so far haven't been playing a potent offense. You know what I'm saying? So, And that's not the knock what the defense has been doing because their defense, I think, points allowed, only giving up 98 points. <laughs> only 98 points. So that's very impressive what they're doing. Uh, over half of the season, but at the same time, when you go against these top offenses and their schedule is about to get pretty heavy. You know, they got KC, they got they got Dallas, they they got a few guys who can throw the ball with a pretty good offense. So just looking at the starters, opposite of what the Patriots been playing, when you want to talk about defensive wise, I think they're is it ten and eighteen, the record, ten and eighteen. So it, it's it's really not a good record. And again, it's not knocking any defenses. Oh, man, we get into the meat of our schedule where we're not just playing so-so offenses anymore. We're, we're playing some good offenses. But just seeing what Lamar Jackson is doing, I felt like he took that loss in the playoffs last year to heart. He took it to heart because just coming out of the offseason – that's all the kid wanted to do. If you just hear in the offseason his workouts, it was work, it was work, it was work. It was having that sour taste in his mouth. It was getting with his offensive coordinator, seeing what they can do for him to get better. 
And you watch this man, which is hard as a defense coordinator. As a defense coordinator, you don't you really don't account the quarterback being a runner. So he got a little Russell, you know, Wilson in him. And is 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 I can run. I really don't want to run. I'm a pass. So now you have a, a double threat. So now you gotta get a spy. What I mean by the spy, you're getting a guy, you're taking him out of coverage just to check the quarterback. And once you start doing that, you get more one-on-one opportunities on the outside. Now he's able to throw the ball, then you get RPOs. And RPOs are meaning run pass options. And then when you watch a run is he's smooth. He's effortless. And what I like about him is he's not taking any big hits. And what really sparked me is when they played Seattle. And it was fourth down. And for a head coach to have a second-year quarterback, to ask a second-year quarterback in Lamar Jackson, what you want to do on fourth down? He said, Coach, I want to go for it. Talk to his offensive lineman. Don't y'all want to go for it? And it was like, hell yeah. Now, as accomplished as Coach Harbaugh is, for him to even ask showed me a lot because he could have easily went for the three. If he didn't trust Lamar Jackson, he could have easily, hey, Phil, go team, let's go, let's get out. So for him to even ask, that showed me how special, how much trust, how confident the head coach is in a young quarterback, even in, even in his second year. Especially going up against Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson, who's having an MVP caliber season. I want to get to the Patriots before I get into Lamar Jackson. The Patriots lost on the road last year five times. Patriots lost to Blake Bortles, Matthew Stafford, Marcus Mariota, Ryan Tannehill, and Big Ben. They went on to win the Super Bowl. A lot's going to be made of last night's game. We'll see what happens, but I still think the road to the Super Bowl runs through Foxborough. Well, you know how the Patriots feel. Like, our division isn't that bad. If we got home field advantage, y'all got to come see us. That's all they're really banking on. We get home field, it's a wrap. Y'all can say what y'all want to say about these road games. We're going to win all these home games. We're going to get to 11 and 5 or 12 and 4. Y'all messed around and give us these home games in the playoffs. Boy, it's going to be scary because y'all know we do at home in the playoffs. So, for me and, and what you just said, they're not really – of course they want to win, but they think a long-term. And long-term for the New England Patriots is if we get home field advantage, we're going to be good for the playoffs. Now, with Lamar, I think a lot of people say, you know, you're either in Lamar's camp or you're not. I'm going to pump the brakes here and kind of take a little bit of a middle ground. I think with a second-year quarterback, can we see that he shows out in the playoffs when it's third and eight and you have to have the ability to throw the ball from the pocket. He's a prolific runner, maybe the best runner in all of football right now. But with Lamar, we've seen this narrative before with running quarterbacks. And I don't mean mobile quarterbacks because you get a guy like even Big Ben or Russell Wilson who are mobile. But when push comes to shove, they're able to make the integral throws that are important when you're going up against a defense that's formidable 
in the playoffs. But we've seen this narrative before with guys like Michael Vick and Tim Tebow and RG3 and Vince Young. When push comes to shove with Lamar, let's see what he does in the playoffs. And you want to know what, too? He's still in his second year in the league. Give him a big enough sample size and see what he does in the postseason before we come to conclusions about Lamar Jackson. See, I, I think I think it'll be time changing. I think we got to get out this mindset. You got to be a pocket quarterback to win these Super Bowls, especially especially when you talk about black quarterbacks. Lamar Jackson, he's a he's a little bit different. And when I say a little bit different. When you see something special, you just got to acknowledge it. And what I was saying earlier was he can run, but he wants to pass. It's, it's different between Mike Vick. And Mike Vick talks highly of Lamar Jackson. Mike Vick, when he came into a jam, he would rather run than pass. Russell Wilson, his early years, he would rather run than pass. Nowadays, now I see offensive coordinators, they're changing towards their personnel. So they're not just going into an organization saying, this is my offense. This is what I want to do. You like it or not. Okay, who's the strength to my offense? It's Lamar Jackson. Is he special? Yes. So at the same time, yeah, I get what you're saying, MB. But on the flip side of that, you know, you just got to acknowledge this dude is special. And, you know, last year, I mean, last night, it, it felt like a playoff game. Like when I watched the Patriots and the Ravens play it, it felt like it was a playoff atmosphere. So, and you know, Coach Belichick, if you just look at his stats, you see what he do against young quarterbacks. And he couldn't do it last night. He couldn't do it. And Lamar was hitting every open receiver. The Patriots had won 20 straight against quarterbacks aged 24 or younger. Lamar Jackson put an end to that streak last night. My point with Jackson, though, is this. The Ravens are averaging more than 200 yards on the ground. Can they keep that going throughout and sustain that throughout an entire season and through the postseason? Can they sustain and become the first team in NFL history to average more than 200 yards passing and 200 yards rushing per game? And that's all I'm saying with Lamar is he's, he's been prolific this season. He has. But when push comes to shove, when it, when it really counts in the postseason, can he do that? I think that's the big question, and I think people are going to continue to debate this really until we get to the postseason. And I, I get it. I get it. But at the same time, you know, if you just watch the New England Patriots, what they're good at was running, and they wasn't able to run the ball. New England is good just running the ball. Um, play action passes to – Edelman and Sanu are wide open when you got a run game. They didn't have a run game. So I get what you're saying, but at the same time, you still got Mark Ingram, and he's balling at the running spot. So now you got two guys who can run the ball. It's just your second guy is your quarterback, and he's not taking as many hits. So, yeah, it's going to be more of a threat in the playoffs for a defense watching Lamar than a defense than Lamar and the offense worrying about the defense because now you have a dual threat at the helm position. That's the quarterback position. We'll see what happens. The Steelers, mm -hmm. two game behind the Ravens, and I think that 
both teams have comfortable leads over the Bengals, the last winless team in the NFL, and right. the Browns with what they're going through right now. Right. And what has just been, I'm just going to call it an absolute clown show in Cleveland right now. And right. the struggles that they've had. So, again, you know, you're about midway through the season. Ravens at 6-2, and two, the Steelers at 4-4. Four and four. I'm really excited to see what happens between these two teams when they match up again, considering that the first time that they played, it went into overtime. If you just, I'm looking at the division now in the AFC division, AFC North especially, still is a second after the Ravens. They 4-4. Four and four. The Raiders in the AFC West, they are second 4-4 four four under the Chiefs. You know, the only real division who really popping is the AFC East. You know, the Bills 6-2, the Patriots, they 8-1. So, and the Colts in the AFC South, they 5-3. The Texans are 6-3. Pittsburgh just beat the Colts. So, we said this last week. All Pittsburgh got to do is rock out this AFC division. They keep winning these AFC games, man. All that come back and help you when you want to talk about a playoff or a wild card or getting into it. So, even though they're 4-4, four and four, they got a lot of life. Before we get to Rams and Steelers, going to go to Taylor Talk. And this weekend, Ike, on behalf of myself and the Believe Podcast Network, we want to congratulate you. Ike Taylor, you are one of nine people inducted into the 2019 Louisiana Athletics Hall of Fame class. I congratulate you and commend you on what was a tremendous playing career, and this is a tremendous accomplishment. If you just kind of want to tell the listeners a little bit about this weekend or some sort of memory that you had during your time at University of Louisiana Lafayette. Uh, my memory was my son being a prideful son, my mom being very prideful of her son, my sisters being proud of their brother, my homeboys, and when I say my homeboys, I'm talking like my 94 crew, guys I've been knowing since 1994. Omar Khan, he's a part of the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's the contract guy over there with that organization, he came through TP3. I call him TP3 because I call him Baby Jesus, Troy Palomalo. He came through supporting me. That's like my, my little brother. So just to see the smile, the experience on people who meant a lot to me, it felt good to me. It made, it made my inside, it made my heart smile a whole lot. So, and I always talk about being unselfish. So just, that family, and that family meaning the Raging Cajun, the University of Louisiana inducted me into that Hall of Fame, it meant a lot. You know, I had to leave the next morning, so I was only there for like 14 hours, but my family stayed, and Nico, who's a part of the Raging Cajun organization, the football organization, and the AD, they rolled out the red carpet for my family, so I'm, I'm just getting calls from my sisters and homeboys, and mom and son and nephew and nieces they they felt like they made it to the hall of fame and when i told them when i did my speech i said man this is this is a this is a we trophy because they gave me a hall of fame trophy i say and the reason why it's a we trophy because it takes a village to raise a child and not saying i was a child but you got to have a good support system but just for you know the university to acknowledge uh, my accomplishments because it just came out the blue. I got this call like four months ago 
and it came out the blue and it it kind of like brought tears to me because I was at a time where I was trying to help some kids. Um, they got expelled from school and had to get a lawyer from, for them and just seeing how the system kind of trying to mess over them. When I got that call, I was like, wow. Like, so people are really seeing what I'm trying to do in the community. Like, I'm just trying to do it because I just want to help kids. That's all I want to do. Um, I just want to volunteer. Like, I'm not asking for money. I'm not asking for nothing. The only thing I can give back is time. And that's the first thing Nico said. Like, hey, bro, one of the reasons why we're inducted into the Hall of Fame is because we heard what you're doing down in Florida. Like, you're giving a lot of time back and you're helping you building this community. And I'm like, man, you hearing that all the way from Louisiana? He like, yeah, bro. Like, we, we hearing all this. So for me, it kind of gave me a boost, like, keep doing what you're doing. But at the same time, you know, the, the university, they rolled out the red carpet, Mark. And I couldn't, I couldn't be more proud. I'm proud of myself. I'm still in awe, like, to be honest with you. I, I really can't, I really have no words. I just appreciate everything with the university did for me and my family. Ike, I saw a newspaper story from the Acadiana Advocate where one of the writers who covered the Cajuns football team for several years says that he would periodically get strange phone calls from an unknown fan of yours who would say things like there was a race on campus between Ike Taylor and the fastest guys on the team and that you smoked them all and that you better watch out for this Ike Taylor kid. Do you have any idea who that fan was? Not at all. Um, it's just, you'd be surprised, Mark, who's watching, whether it's good or bad. you just you just be surprised who's watching you but at the same time is, I mean, all I'm trying to do is push back good. All I'm trying to do is encourage. You weren't the person calling into the paper saying, hey, keep an eye oh, out for hell, this. Hell no, Mark. <laughs> hell no, not at all, dog. <laughs> That's awesome. No, it was just a good experience. Just to everybody who's listening, keep tuning in to Mark and I on the Believe podcast for the Steelers. Appreciate all the reviews. I'm telling y'all, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get hotter and hotter. Uh, just keep tuning in. And the Rams come to Heinz Field on Sunday. The Rams 5-3, and 3-1 three, three and one on the road, third in the NFC West. The Rams open as a four-point favorite in Sunday's game. And Los Angeles has won two consecutive games. They're coming off a 24-10 win over the Cincinnati Bengals. For Ike Taylor, I'm Mark Bergen. Thanks for listening to the Believe in Steelers podcast. We'll see you next week. So long, everyone. Peace. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.